Welcome to Growin' with Owen, where our host, agripreneur Jason Owen, talks candidly with business and industry leaders, leading edge researchers, and state and federal policymakers about what it takes to grow America through agriculture and manufacturing. Here's your host, Jason Owen. Welcome to Growin' with Owen podcast. This is your host, Jason Owen. We're down here at the Red Dot Studios in Historic Valley Junction. We've got a very special guest today, Scott Carlson. I think many in our audience will know Scott from uh, many of his business ventures. Um, Scott, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jason. I, uh, we were talking here before we got started. I think our first time we met was down at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. We did, the Autocraft Beer Tent. Yep, that was uh, quite a uh, meeting, if I remember right. We all jumped out of the car, and it was snowing outside, if I remember right. And, and a little cold, a little windy. A little cold. I think there was no grass down there. and uh, I, no. I think it was a dirt dirt lot, and uh, the fair was interested in doing something new. And, and uh, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back that up. I think everybody probably knows what we're talking about. We're talking about the Iowa Craft Beer Tent. Correct. But we were actually, we actually probably met before that because of the old Iowa Craft Beer Tent location. Correct. You had built that before us. And yep. so and then we, we kind of became the, I guess, the most popular tenant of your structure. That, and, that uh, is easy. To, yeah, right? you, got, you guys win that award. <laughs> the most popular Aki Steel building ever built was the, uh, that original Olympic Pavilion down there. Right. And so it was nice that we be, you know, became so popular. And I, we met there, actually. Yep, um, we did. And, uh, and then as the as the fair decided to move kind of you know their footpath pattern you know they wanted to bring some action to that corner of the fairgrounds and kind of gave us the opportunity to to grow which we needed to grow um on that corner yeah that definitely has worked out so one of the things that we've we've talked about in the podcast as as we've been going through here is not so much all the business ventures that 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 you're in or the different different businesses that, that i've got going but we really want to talk about the the entrepreneur, the the risk, the the things that the listeners may not, you know, not everyone understands what it takes to get a business running and get a business engaged, and and all those little things you don't necessarily learn at school. And, Correct. Uh, you know, I think that's something that I've definitely tried to live is I'm not, not I'm not the the school side of the the business. I'm the go get it done and, and, and make it happen kind. And I think we've aligned in a lot of those type of areas. So hopefully we'll get into some of those discussions here later. Um, from that entrepreneur background, tell us a little bit about what you all have going on here in the Des Moines area. You know, I'm, I'm a restaurant guy at heart. I grew up with a mother that was a chef and moved a lot growing up. So we got to spend a lot of time in restaurants and a lot of time at home having great meals that she got to make for my family. And, uh, you know, when you move, I moved nine times before I graduated high school. So when you move that much, you, you, you get to meet a lot of people and you got to learn a lot of, of a, a lot of different personalities. So originally kind of from the East Coast area? Is that uh, born in Cincinnati and Cincinnati, then okay. and literally moved nine times. We were in Europe twice and then uh, California. What parts uh, of Europe did you get so to? So we were in London uh, for a couple of years. Then we were in Surrey, Cobham, um, just kind of the outside of the city for a, couple of year, for a couple of years. And then L.A. for a few years, Chicago for a few years, and graduate high school outside of Philadelphia. Um, oh, wow. That really is. Uh, right. That's right. a lot of moving. And even if you think of the States, that, that's total different culture, right? Right. From, from, yep. from coast to coast. And born in Cincinnati. My brother okay. is still a Bengals fan. The only one I know. <laughs> <laughs> With all that moving, how do you think that making relationships and, I mean, you know, you're probably one of the most positive, you know, 
uh, extroverted type people that I, I really run across. And I always like gravitating towards that because that's, you know, not always who I am naturally, but I get, you got to get there for business sometimes. And you got to try to put yourself out there in those, those positions and make yourself vulnerable to be remembered. Right. So, right. No, I think, you know, obviously the upbringing made me, you know, become an extrovert. I think I probably was naturally. Um, but when you move that many times, you've got to be okay inserting yourself into people's business, right? And then trying to read a, a room real quick or use your gut real check. Is this person, you know, a good person? Is it a good friend? Is it going to be a good girlfriend, right? I mean, all those things that you go through when you move so much. And I think that really probably got me into that entrepreneurship spirit, even though I didn't know that was happening at that time. But when you, when you, when you make that juxtaposition and you're, and you're moving every few years into a whole new environment, um, you've got to be able to um, adapt quick, right? And then you've got to be able to be successful, whatever that is, right? If it's, if it's grades, if it's sports, if it's friends, if it's music, if it's culture, if it's art, whatever, whatever you're into, you better find those people quick, right? And, 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 and become friends. What was your common, common thing? Was it music? Was it sports? What was the thing that you kind of took with you in all those different moves? Right, right. Uh, so uh, my, my wife actually will say on occasion that my friends are diverse, and I think it's partly because I just adapt, Right. So if, if it's music's your thing, I love music. Right. If it's sports, I'm happy to talk about sports or play sports. Uh, if it's art, I wish I could be a better artist. You know, I'm not, but I certainly appreciate art. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's intellectual, I, I like to have good conversations. I can't say I was the best student um, going through school. I can't even say I was a fan of school. Uh, but I certainly appreciate people that are smart, right? Sure. And I appreciate, appreciate people that are doers, right? So uh, I, I'd, I'd certainly get around those folks and, and uh, learn what I could from them pretty quick. And I think something that's a common thread that people that own their own businesses are always researching. They're always learning that next new thing. They're always, you know, you never stop learning. Right. You know, that's, that's the thing that, you know, I've, if you see people finishing up school and it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Right. Well, that's really just the beginning. And that's something that people really have to, to grip onto if they want to take it to those next steps and, and move themselves, have those opportunities to do something different in life. Right. Never I don't stop think learning. anybody likes boring, right? right? So, you know, I think if you can find people that have something to say or something to do or something to experience, uh, it's easy to be around those folks. Definitely. Definitely. So we've probably first off, first brewery in Des Moines. So we're the so Court Avenue Brewing Company was the second brew pub in the state of Iowa. That was okay. 1996, um, and now there's 130, 140 breweries in Iowa. So we were we were pretty new, you know, back in 1996, and we got to change a lot of laws, you know, within the state to make those things work. And we actually made quite a few quite a few more changes as we progressed. And actually, that last change of changing the definition of what a beer is, you know, we could, where we could increase the alcohol past five percent, is what really boomed the business. Then all of a sudden. The breweries came out of the woodwork that could produce all the beers they wanted to make for the public instead of the ones they were forced so that, to make. So that was an issue about how much alcohol content that you would be allowed? It was. So, so in Iowa, you couldn't produce over 5%. And so I can't, I, I, Culver was governor when we, we made that change. I can't remember what date that was, but he was the governor that changed that proclamation. Um, and when we got that done, that's when you saw you know breweries kind of come out of the woodwork. That's when Confluence came out. You know these folks were making uh, beer at home, but they couldn't produce that beer for the public in a public setting until that law got changed. Was that still back when we had the state liquor stores? Was that still the regulation, or was that starting to fade? Because I'm I'm old enough that, right. that I can remember the state official official state of Iowa liquor store, and everything was really regulated. You couldn't right. you couldn't. You know, some of the listeners may be younger. You know, they can go to Casey's store and pick up a a, a pint of uh, you know bourbon. Bourbon. Right. You 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 could not do that could back not then. Could not do that. Yeah. So we were 
the stores were gone by that point. Okay. Uh, the state still controls liquor. So right. when I say it's, that there's one warehouse, and anything that was over 5%, the state considered liquor. Okay. So as a brew pub, I couldn't produce liquor. I only could produce beer. So we had to make all of our beers below 5%, which is about maybe a third of the different styles of beer that are produced in the country. So it really kind of hindered a brewery or brew pub. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't compete on a national level in the state of Iowa. Okay. And then the state would buy higher alcohol, beer, and then sell it to the public. So the hard part was even the state was our own enemy, right? We, right. You know, we, we were based here in Iowa, but we couldn't produce beer. They were selling in the grocery stores or, or, or other bars. Really? Yeah. And so we, get, we finally got that law changed, and that was really when you saw the next boom of, of breweries and brew pubs. And you were kind of, was, was, was uh, Cabco kind of on the, the leadership of that, working? I mean, you're in a great spot to, to influence the, uh, the state house there, just down the street. Right. So. Um, the Brewers Guild was kind of the one that took the reins, but that was a long, that was probably a four- or five-year process. So, okay. you know, the Guild, but I did, I pulled my daughter out of high school, or not, I'm sorry, grade school, <laughs> and uh, we went, and uh, when they signed the proclamation, I still have the pen that you know they gave her and I, and I took her out and I remember she was sitting there and she was the only child you know in the entire <laughs> state house especially when you're talking about beer right um yep. and I remember just saying to her hey this is our livelihood I yep. think you should see when we change you know when we change government you know um law um that it affects a big chunk of our economy that's probably a whole another podcast that we could get into you right know, we really don't we have a little bit of an outline for the folks listening but the amount of when I started my business, I didn't know. I just, right. I started a machine shed at our farm and we, we stopped selling seed corn and we started welding big rock boxes. And, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we just, we just kind of covered up what we didn't know by working harder. And then as we learned sometimes the hard way, but a lot of times uh, we just kept working harder and kept growing and add, adding a few more people and learning the labor, all the, the employee rules and, and laws and how you pay people. And it just, we just really grew organically from just not really knowing to trying to figure things out, working with our accountant and different things. But people underestimate the amount of positive and negative influence government can have in, in, in a person's business. Yeah. I was 26 when Court Avenue Brewing Company opened in 96, so I didn't know anything, right? I mean, so uh, the, the, the fact that we couldn't produce beer over 5% was just a challenge, not a not not a stop, right? right? So uh, we made the best beer we could. We thought we made great beer. Actually, we did make good beer, you know, up to that point. Uh, but when we the law changed, it just opened up a whole other uh, level of what we could produce. It's, it's interesting, though, to take the initiative that a lot of people would say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that when you go out and actually put effort behind to actually go, go make that change right. and, and make it and not just for yourself, but it made it for look at, look at the industry. I'm not sure you might have the statistics on how many jobs and how many, you know, gallons of, of beers brewed in Iowa and, and how many jobs that means and how many acres of crops. I mean, it, it all, it's a, we're in a, we're in a wonderful bread basket of the world. Right. Uh, obviously bread is a, is one step away from beer. So we have that ability now to kind of make that, I'd, I'd say, full circle. Right. And I mean, even at the fair this year, you know, the corn growers, uh, you know, had, had sponsored some beer for some of their patrons, right, some of the Corn Growers Association. So they asked us, what beers do you make with corn? So we lined up four or five different beers that we make with corn. If anybody's out there, almost all Mexican lagers. So if you like, you know, uh, Mexican lagers, they're almost always a corn-based beer. So if you're a corn fan, uh, 
that's a good beer to drink if you want to support the corn industry. But the good thing is, you know, beers are made from just about any kind of organic material out there as far as grains. And, right. You know, we even made a, you know, Court Avenue Brewing Company back in the day made the very first soy beer in the world. Oh, really? Uh, and that was, a, you know, a combination of a Court Avenue Brewing Company and Iowa State trying to take, uh, you know, soybeans to see if they can actually be made into beer. Because soybeans are traditionally not a real starchy plant. They're more of an oil legume type. Right. And they wanted to see if the, uh, I'm going to say it right, but if the, uh, if, if the, is it the isoflavins that are in, that are in uh, soybeans, if they actually would carry through the beer process. So they really didn't ferment those like we do grain. But so we did 50-50 and we found out that they still cont- you know, contained all the same, they didn't lose any of their ability for well, that's, there's probably some health benefits to some of those Correct. oils in there so yeah we're, we're always looking for a good another good reason to drink right. some beer the beer was okay i have to admit <laughs> not great not bad okay so we talked a little bit about your starting 1996 if i remember right drake graduate drake graduate go dogs there yeah, you go that's uh, that's how that's got me to des moines i was going to school i moved nine times before i graduated high school but i actually went to school on the east coast for hotel restaurant management uh, decided I wanted to get my degree in business and uh, came over to Drake University and got my degree in business here and and uh, focused on uh, marketing and then also economics and uh, never left. And that was just a, a choice to uh, have an opportunity to get some scholarship dollars? Was that just, how, how did you pick? I mean, there's, I, I love Drake. I had a great, my great, great aunt that actually owned the farm for a while after her dad built the farm I'm on. She was one of the early graduates of Drake from their education program. I think she was teaching school at maybe sixteen or seventeen. It was it was different rules back then. Correct. Then went back and got. Well, she was a she was a principal in Fort Dodge. Is but she went back. Always always got a Drake sweatshirt every year from for Christmas. She always wanted to make sure. The, you know, remember that uh, Drake was in. A, she wanted me to always go to Drake in the worst right. way. It's so. a, you know I'm, I'm I believe blue a little bit so I I, I, I like her. Um, you know, it was kind of a happy accident. So I was going to school on the East Coast. I was going to go to Penn State. Um, they, they have a they have business and hotel restaurant management. My, my thought was to double major um, and keep the, the hospitality degree um, at that time. And uh, it was a little of my brother's influence. Uh, he was going to Drake at the time. He had graduated when we lived outside of Chicago, so that's how he got to Drake. Oh, okay. And uh, he basically was looking out for his little brother, although, you know, we he basically said, if, if you go to Penn State, Scott, I don't think you'll graduate. I think you'll have a lot of fun. I think you'll enjoy Penn State, but I think you will not graduate. So I said, well, where should I go? And he says, why don't you think about coming to Drake? It's a smaller school. I think you can probably stay a little more focused. And uh, he'll be around for one year. That was, that was, an, was, issue, that was an issue back then, too. A huh? little bit, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. You know, entrepreneurs sometimes are ADD or ADHD. I'm sure I am. I just never got diagnosed. Right. Uh, and so I came to Drake, uh, You kind of un- really under his guise, and no scholarship, no place to live. I slept. I drove from Philadelphia to Des Moines in one shot. I think it took me 20 hours straight in a 1979 Monte Carlo. I was just going to ask you what kind of... Uh, right, I, right. I, had a, I had a 78 Chevy Malibu. There you go. I, yep, right. So. Drove it straight in, and I got... I, had, I, had, I think I had two bags, and I had nowhere to live, so I slept on a couch for about two and a half weeks till I found a place to live. Um, didn't even get my books right away, so I borrowed books for a while, and then uh, you know, then I finished Drake. It took me about two and a half years to get my degree in business at you know Drake, and, and loved it. And really... It was my first time ever in my life living in a smaller city. So um, we were in London and L.A. and Chicago and Philly. And what I really saw and, and still is true today is, you know, you can make a bigger difference in a smaller city than yep. trying to make, you know, trying to make waves in Philadelphia, trying to make waves in Chicago, trying to make waves in L.A. That's a tough, that's a tough hoe. And so um, 
I kind of said, well, you know, let me let me try Des Moines. I met my girlfriend and is now my wife and the mother of my children, and uh, said, hey, let me let me see if I can make it here. If I can't, I can always go back to Philadelphia. Right. And never left. Never you know, left. So it's been wonderful. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because we do we've done mostly salt projects in the in the New England states, and you'll you'll see contractors. You'll get to know a little bit when you're when you're doing some work. Um, it's almost by boroughs or by cities. There's there's not very few people span different neighborhoods in the bigger cities. You know, we're we're here. I think they you, don't you, move. They don't move. And here you have the opportunity. You can you can. Well, really, you've with the Iowa Craft Beer business or tent, however you right. want to say that. It's it's really touched almost the whole state of Iowa. It has, and 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 we'll touch a little bit. Like you said, you were in the boroughs. You know, part of probably the happy probably the happiest accident again that happened was you're right if you go back to philadelphia you go back to boston you know those families don't move so if if, if i want to get in the restaurant business well there's a family that's been doing it for 50 years 100 years 125 years or if they're in the building construction business yep. they've been there since geez maybe since it started yep so trying to break those you know into those relationships is really tough we're here in the midwest or in in des moines you can start them you know i was 26 you know in, in yep. 1996 and there's not a whole lot of people telling you can't Right. There's a lot of people actually say, go for it. You can because it's, it's new to the area. So they're excited about it. And that's about the same time I, I came. I left Iowa State, I think, 96. And uh, I went back for one semester. But that was a really good time in Iowa for there was lots of opportunity. There was uh, banks where you know, I had a, the local uh, Templeton Bank was very supportive of what we were doing. Um, they were excited to bring business. There was lots of opportunities to um, for people that wanted to work. And, and wanted to start a business. There was that was a, that was a good time in the economy to start it. The economy was was doing pretty good. There was there was a, there was just a lot of opportunity out there. There was, and I think today less so, but still in the Midwest work ethic, you know they do appreciate. It, but you said that I mean the banks and the, even the investors, you know, appreciate hard work. Is that how you got? Was it investors that you got backers in? Yeah, ten one hundred thousand dollar investors. No bank. No bank was interested in a restaurant. No bank was interested in a brewery, especially the second one. Right. So it was just it was too new. Too so new. they basically yep. said, "Hey, we're not really interested in, in that that new of a business opportunity." The one thing that I've always I, I don't know if we found this purposefully or accidentally, but one thing I learned from building rock boxes and big concrete plants. We built portable concrete plants for a company out in Blair, Nebraska called Conico. They. Um, they were actually getting concrete plants built in in Asia and sent over here, complete, ready to go. And then the quality initially was not very good, but the quality started to get better and better. When I got into AccuSteel in 2001, we didn't really purposely do this, but we wanted a product that was big, big and bulky, but didn't weigh a lot. It's hard to generate those type of products overseas and then import them in. So it wasn't the main driver of why we picked fabric buildings. But it was a, it was an idea that was hard to be outsourced. It's hard to build something that's big and airy, lots lots of open space in the trusses, and then drive it four or five thousand miles. Now we have done that. We've actually shipped stuff all over the over the world. But the idea is is it's we can add value to it here. It's got to be very specific type projects for us to add value to it here in Iowa, and then ship it to uh, the Middle East or ship it to Europe or Africa. We have to add a lot of value proposition into that. Right. So. I think you kind of hit it. You got to find your edge, right? What yep. is, what's your edge? And, and I agree. I mean, when, when you guys brought that, uh, structure out to the Iowa state fairgrounds, 
There was a lot there, right? I mean, there's yep. a lot of pieces, a lot of parts, a lot of a lot of structure that had but to be put together. I probably shipped that on one truck. You probably did, but still, I mean, that's, that's still you take it across country with, or take or overseas is a whole different a whole right. different deal. Yeah, but we were able. I think that was what a sixty-seven by one sixty. Is that the same? I believe so. I believe big, so. If big I'm, dust. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> but we can get that on one semi, which that's a lot of square footage for for a one semi type load. So I, you know, that's. Those are little things that you don't necessarily think about at the time, but they've, they've played to our favor because it, it'd be very difficult for someone to build build that and ship it in from, from um, say, Mexico or ship that in from, say, Asia. It'd be very difficult for them to be competitive in that type of situation. Right, and if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, which I hope you are, that's about 14,000 square feet you know, underneath that tent. So you know, as, as Jason gave you the, the yep. feet, that's about – but I think you know, we, didn't, we didn't realize until we measured it out how big a space that really is. Yep. You know. And it's nice to see it full. That's a, that's a fun thing to see. I like it. to see it full too. Nice to see it full. Um, I know we've got Gilroy's is going to be bringing us some food here in a little bit. I think uh, Cabco is going to be bringing up some, uh, maybe something to wet or whistle with also. So looking forward to that here in a few minutes and give a shout out to Gilroy's for some of their food. If you get a chance, uh, come down to the Historic Valley Junction. It's a great place, lots of shops. And uh, if, if you have any marketing needs, definitely stop in and see our friends here at Red Dot. So with that transition, what's one of the things I always like to talk about people when, I'm, when I get asked about starting a business or how I got started, it's that taking risk. And with risk, some comes from some failure. What's some of your risk, failure, reward type stories that you'd like to share? You know, it's, I got a few notes, right, for me to begin with, and this, this is one of the things that I, you said you were going to talk about, and I thought it was interesting. You know, it took me a little bit to say what are failures and what are risks, and I think, and I, I can't speak for all entrepreneurs, but I can speak for the ones I've met. I don't think we look at it that way, you know. Um, I, I'm not even sure I could give you a failure, right? I mean, and it's not because things didn't work out the way we thought, but we didn't let them stop us from making it work. Um, even the Outercraft beer tent could be an example of that, right? You know, so yeah, my first job, you know, was uh, a landscaper, and we did landscaping in Pennsylvania when I was 16 years old, and we did that 16, 17, 18 years old, and and uh, we couldn't be any busier. We couldn't we couldn't even take any more customers. And what I realized was, I'm getting paid cash money for the time I want to put in. And I can control my environment. Now, we worked a ton, right? I mean, mm -hmm. even at yep. 16, 17, I was probably working 40, 50 hours a week doing landscaping. But guess what? If I wanted to go to the shore for the weekend, I could make it work, right? So I could go, I could work hard and play hard even at that age. And all I had to do was make sure I could deliver it on what I promised, make sure it was done in a good manner, in budget or close to budget, and make sure that they will refer me to the next job. That was it, right? That was that was the only thing I wanted to get done. And that, that was your business. You started that. Yep, me and a buddy named Keith Parsons, right? So that's your very first business first out of job. the gate. We had a little. We had we had dot matrix, the little dot matrix printer. Yep. You know, with a with a with a house and a and a shovel. You know, and we just walked around and probably gave, probably had to tear the trace paper off the side. Absolutely, of it. Absolutely, right. Uh, yep. And so, and it was. I mean, when I say wildly successful, one of one of the things I immediately thought maybe I should open up a. Uh, landscaping business, right? And, and that was kind of one of the things that, you know, got me going into just maybe maybe working for myself. Yep. I just enjoyed it, right? I enjoyed seeing the customer have a great time with me doing whatever the job would be. And I, I, you, you're the same way. You, you get excited about your projects and you get excited when the customer's excited about the, the completion of a project. And so that was probably... The first thing I saw. Now we had some problems even then, right? I mean, I fell off a roof, right? I had no insurance, right? I cut, 
I, I cleared some trees that, that uh, didn't want to be cut down. Well, you can't put trees back, just so you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, so I learned a lot even at that point, but none of it stopped me, right? I mean, none of it stopped me. And even when I was 26, you know, with, with Court Avenue Brewing Company, we had lots of challenges with the city. We had a lot of challenges with, you know, the state. We had a lot of challenges with the ABD, you know, all the things we were trying to do to, you know, to make craft beer. And it would have been easy to say, I'm done. I'm out, right? Because one, you know, as, as we all know, government or any kind of process can just wear you out. Right. Nope. And then they have more time, right? They, they have, have more time, more energy yeah. and re- more resources. And so nope. sometimes you might want to throw the towel in. And I think if you're born a certain way, you just take those challenges and kind of just just keep working at them and find an angle. Because even government wants you to be successful, especially your local government. They may throw you those challenges, but they certainly want you to kind of you know become successful. So I'm going to I'm going to interrupt you just for a second. Do you think those are innate of who you are or do you think you can learn that with an idea? I think some of both, you think, um, okay. but I think you can learn it. You know, there was a time when Drake, and I love Drake, you know, was offering um, a major in entrepreneurship. And I actually said to Drake, I think that's irresponsible. I don't think you can teach somebody to be an entrepreneur. Um, I, I backpedal now. Um, and I think what I'm learning is you don't have to be a complete risk taker to be an entrepreneur. You can still be entrepreneurial and, and, and have the background of the education to make you more successful. Right. Um, and I think some of that came with the dot-com boom, right? You can, you, can, you can certainly see ideas and just be able to produce them. And, if you, and if you probably need to understand how to get that to market. So I understand Drake's degree more now than I did when they first came out with it. Um, so I think you can learn the process, but I think you've also got to have a really good gut. You've got to be able to really kind of weather a storm. And you also got to be okay with kind of s- multiple setbacks, and multiple and not just monetarily weathering no. storms or that that's not the things that we've weathered weren't all monetary issues it's, a lot of emotion yeah right a lot of just you know your your mind can start to wear out right or your your decision process can become almost too cumbersome to you know to get through it and okay. so i think you just got to be able to you got to be you, you just got to have that perseverance and you got to have that will to win and not win and put somebody else out of business your idea to win it Right. Like you said, you were building, you know, structures in your in your barn. Right. And look at you now. So I think, you know, my, you know, my mother taught me to cook on a counter. I was using a chef knife when I was, boy, seven, eight, nine years old, chopping onions for. Her. Yep. You know, so she you know, she gave me things when I was a kid and just said, you know, go for it. We were expected to cook meals at home, you know, for the family. So there was there was just times that you know, we were put out there. And and I think you, you got to have the will to win. You know? I, I think that's probably smart, and I think the 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 will to make change. I think it, that's an interesting way when you talk about failure. It's not really we don't really fail, but we maybe made a change that tried to make a change for the better. Right. You know, that's when, when we were developing our products twenty years ago and really trying to make them a, a, a more manufactured, more of a repeatable process. You know, I knew I knew when I had enough. When you go to bed at night, and you're you're dreaming in AutoCAD. You're like trying to solve problems as you're as you're dreaming. You're like, well, if I did this, and I, you know, you just you get so absorbed in it. But the the idea of failure, I've I've watched some people have business ideas that weren't very viable, and that they've rode those too far, and, and they weren't they 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 held on to their mindset of. I know I'm right. I know this is going to work. I just got to get, you know, that one more investor. I got to get one more, one more, one more thing when it really wasn't the one more thing. It was the idea and being able to shift and be able to adapt to 
you the feedback or, or, or change what their goal was for them to be successful. Right. Or you didn't have to be a big change. It might've been a five degree. I always talk in degrees. If it's a five degree change or 10 degree change, you, you want to avoid those 180 degree changes. Those are the ones that really hurt. But right. if you can change five degrees and you can compromise a little bit and you can, you can get, you can get to that next, that next plateau, that next step. Um, one thing, I don't know about how, how your businesses work, but ours would work a lot of times. We'd have a big year, not make any money, but we'd learn a lot. So we, we paid for an education. Right. Then that next, hopefully that next year, and this was always what I was uh, cautiously optimistic is my favorite term back to the bank. Well, we're, we're cautiously optimistic about next year because we, we've learned how to build a lot of product. Now we're going to learn how to build a lot of product and make some money at the end of the day. Yeah, price it right, yep. right? Yep. And you were saying too, I've seen a lot of good ideas not make it because they don't have the business acumen to get it to, to market. Yep. Right? So, you know, it, life can be tough, right? But I think if you're tougher... Right, and I think if you've got a good idea, good concept, good work ethic, good people around you, um, I mean, really, the sky's the limit. People, I think, people get nervous, or they think of entrepreneurs as brave, right? And I and I always say to people, I never got anywhere by myself, right? Even anywhere, anywhere, right? It started with your parents and your mama, probably yep. for the most, but but you know, it didn't get anywhere. And so I always let people know too, you don't have to be alone to be an entrepreneur. If anything, don't be alone. You know, fill in your gaps, right? Find the folks that, you know, fill in the weaknesses that you think you have or do have, right? If finance is not your thing, get a great accountant, right? Get, get, a, get a great CFO. If marketing is not your thing, get a good marketing person, right? If, if, if construction is not your thing, get a good engineer on your side. And so I, I tell people, your idea doesn't have to be 100% your development, right? You just got to be able to get great people. I could never have done any of my businesses without good partners. I couldn't do any of them. So Court Avenue, the first one, maybe, but then the, you know, Gilroy's, Americana, the Autocrat Beer Tent, I do a little consulting. I couldn't do any of those other ones without good people and by, you know, finding a partner to actually run that business. So that, that speaks to something I'm still learning about and I'm still interested in is the culture of, of finding the cultural fits for those partners and employees or relationships finding that cultural fit. Do you have kind of a mindset going in of who you're looking for, or do you let those people come to you? Or how do, how do you pick up a, a cultural uh, business partner type fit? You know, I, for me, I've been fortunate, right? I'm a good read with people. Uh, my gut, my gut, I have a really good sense of my gut. And I've got to, I've got found the folks that have become my partners. And then I made an offer to them that I think would, would be real lucrative to them as long as we're successful. Um, and then I let them run with the ball. Um, and I'm just here as a sounding board at that point. So, I, you know, most of my stuff's hospitality-oriented. So I know culture. I know, you know a good palate. I know good atmosphere. But I'm not an expert at all of them. So if that partner has an idea, um, I can maybe help them with some decision-making. Uh, but literally let them kind of run with the ball and let them make mistakes. Because, you know, what I found is the few mistakes they make, they make 100 times more successes, you know, making those decisions. And I learned that, you know, hey, let's just fix the quick ones, you know, when we, when we find the mistakes. And then the successes, man, those things come tenfold. And, and there's, there are things that I would never have thought about. I never would have even done myself. Maybe wouldn't even have the guts to do it, right? So these guys have this idea. I let them fly with it, and they, they become really successful amongst themselves. My biggest goal, I guess, I guess you, you say one of those failures. It's not a failure yet. Um, as my hope is one of those partners finds that next partner, right? I would love them to f develop somebody, trust somebody, and have the gut to say, hey, I, I believe in you X, and I'm going to put my house up 
uh, with the bank to get a loan to open up whatever that business is and support you and be your safety board, right? And pay that kind of you that's know, kind of paying it forward or yeah, paying it back. Encouraging they, them. Yeah. yeah, it's not, you know, it's just, and, and maybe they come to me and say, hey, Scott, all I need from you this time is an investment, right? right? So I'm just writing a check, not putting my business and my house and my other buildings up for collateral. And I'm, I'm sure, gonna, I'm sure people listen to that and they're like, oh, you, you, you can't be serious. It's, oh, yeah. you, when, when you're on the, I don't want to say cutting edge of things, but when you're on a, manufacturing is a has been very sketchy in the United States the last 25 years. I mean, there's a lot of manufacturers that have left. I mean, there's a lot of heavy, the demand for steel in our country is is historically way down because of the, and new materials, but a lot of the heavy manufacturing's just left. And so when you go to, you go to banks that don't understand your business model, I'm fortunate I don't really have to do that, but when we talk about heavy manufacturing, you talk about, you know, we, we cut, weld, bends things, a lot of people are like, no, nah, that's not for me. We want to be in a service-minded industry. We want to, you know, we, we don't we don't want to invest in something that is actually making something. Correct. You know, we we used to think we sell buildings. I know something that we, you know I've talked about is that we really, even though we we build a mechanism, we really even that mechanism is really fulfilling an experience for that person. I I think you said one time we sell feelings. Right. Right. I, I love that. I love that mentality. Right. Well, that, and I say that, although you, I think every business does. I mean, you, you sell structural stuff, but, you know, in the restaurant business, feelings is all we got. You know, right. I, I always tell, I mean, you're wearing a nice pair of boots right now. So I will say you can go home, and if those boots bother you in a month, you can probably bring them back to whoever you bought them from and say, hey, man, these just aren't working out. And I guarantee you they're going to take them back and either exchange them or give your money back, right. but they're going to take care of you. Right. You know, when you leave a restaurant after a meal – you wake up the next day or you, you walk into your, you get into your car even, and you just say, that's not really what I thought it was going to be. You can't return that burger. Right. You just don't come back. Right. Yep. So the only thing our customer leaves with is a feeling. And I always tell my staff, it's got to be great. Okay is not good. Okay means they can go somewhere else. Right? right. So all we have in our industry is feelings. That's all they have they can take with them. So that commitment to excellent, that, that we want to have that best experience regardless if we're, if I'm selling a building or if you're, you're selling a glass of beer, you want that experience to go beyond the building. I, I didn't realize this initially and I didn't, this podcast isn't about me, but I think it fits into it. When we sell someone, especially a, a young farmer that has an opportunity to come back to their, their home place or a, a farm of their grandparents or an uncle or how, whatever the connection is, that's how they're going to pay for that, that farm, that they're going to get that acreage paid for by having that building on their property and you, you, when you drive up there, you're like, well, you know, I know the technical side of the building. I know this and that. But when then you go visit with the, with the customers, that's, I mean, they spend more time in that barn, depending on the type of operation. But a lot of the cow-calf customers will spend more time in that barn than they do in their house. Right. We've got customers that have a nursery built in their, in their cattle office because that's where the kids play. Because mom's out helping take care of the cows, and she can keep an eye on the kids back in the barn. And you, you start to realize that we're not... That is a lifestyle choice. That is something they want to do, and it's something that they're they're trying to make money doing it to help pay for that for that for their for their dreams. So you're really kind of filling in a little bit of a of a need for it's it's almost more of an emotional thing than a physical thing, right? And I think it, and I think that's that works in any business. A lot of people, I think, they think too much on the product, right? They think too much on the mechanism. It's, and they move on, right? Yeah, yeah, the mechanism and the mechanism and the widget, and they just they go on to the next widget or the next mechanism. I, I think people miss out on that connection that they have with that with that product. 
Um, I've got uh, a friend that, that manufactures garbage trucks. You, you don't realize until you talk to the people that drive. Uh, we used, and I don't go to as many shows as I used to, but I used to go to a big uh, public waste show. And uh, we'd see each other there. And you'd, the people that drove their trucks had a, a connection to that garbage truck. You know, people don't, the people that aren't in the garbage industry don't, don't necessarily have that connection. They don't think about that. But the guy that's driving that, that public vehicle or that private garbage service, that's their, that's their world. That's what they, that's what they're connected to. They're, they, they have to have that emotional connection for them to come back the next day to get back in that truck. Right. And we actually see that a ton at the Outcraft Beer Tent. I mean, we're at the Iowa State for, for 11 days, but the people that actually come and oh, see that, us. It's probably more like, what, 14? Well, I'm the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah, the team's there a lot longer, but yeah. the customer's there for those 11 days. And what we found pretty quickly is they own that tent just as much as we do. Yep. Right? They come back, and they want to support Iowa Beer. They want to support the Iowa State Fair. They want to – I mean, AccuSteel's an Iowa company. The concrete just went into Iowa company. The gentleman glassmaker that put up this tent, uh, yep. put up the structure is an Iowa-based company. And so, you know, what, what, what we found is we are kind of an Iowa – piece of the fair right and so all i wanted to do gosh in 1998 when i went to the fair the first time all i wanted to do was have iowa beer at the iowa state fair that's all i wanted right that was the only that was the little and i thought i'd be in a 10 by 10 pop-up tent with four or five taps and you'd walk up and give me five bucks and i'd give you a beer and we would high five and i'd do that all day long Obviously, it became a lot more than that but that was the the intent was just to bring something to you know to iowa that was made in iowa Right, and now we now everything that's there. Is yeah, and that, and that's that's something that I think it, it obviously showcases the fair. It showcases Iowans. I mean, that's that is quintessentially what the state fair should be about. It should be a, a celebration of what makes Iowa special and great. Right. And I think that's something that we really, you know, it's it's been a it's been quite a ride being a part of that. Like I said, initially we didn't even hardly know we were because we left the Olympic Pavilion up, and all of a sudden it got rebranded the Iowa Craft Beer Tent, and the and the way she went. <laughs> right, and I don't think the fair knew what they were going to get. You no, know? I don't think I mean, they did either. They just knew that structure after the Olympics was not going to be utilized the way they wanted it to be utilized. Yep. And I think it became just a big place for tables and chairs. Right. Yep. It just became a place to, to have a, a meal in the shade. If you knew it was there, you had to go find it. There's a lot of people probably don't that, were, that are listening to this may not even know where the original one was. It was out by Diamond Jacks. It was uh, right. south of Diamond Jacks. And tucked behind the slide and the trash. Yep. The slide <laughs> used to be right. You used to, before they moved the slide, you used to look right up in the scaffolding right. of the slide, and it was right. just right there. Yep. Right. And, and we loved it because we didn't know anything else. Right. Right. And then, uh, and then we got to design the tent you know, the structure that you, that you guys put together. And it's, I mean, it's a world difference. I mean, it's, I wish I could understand more of the engineering of the tent, but you know, it's 17 feet high. It's got wings. It actually draws air. I'm not sure exactly how, but you know, it actually draws air. That's a a trade secret. It's a trade secret. So there's always a breeze, you know, that comes through and, and uh, people can see it, right? There's not, the structure's there, but it doesn't block any, any entrance to the area. I mean, right. you walk in, you don't even know you, until you got in the shade, you almost don't even know you walked into something. And so it's got this great feeling, right, when, when you get there. And that, that, again, that was conversations that we had, right? And, and I think you got, like you just said, when you're building that structure for that farm, you understood what we were building, right? We were trying to build something that was very inviting, that didn't that yep. didn't block anybody from coming in because we, we certainly want people to try Iowa beer. And we learned from the first structure that sometimes it can be intimidating if it's too busy, too packed. Yep. And if you've never had an Iowa craft beer and you're from a small town in Iowa or a small town in Nebraska, who knows, we have a lot of people that come, and all you drank is Bush Light or Coors Light, and nothing wrong with those beers, but the issue is it can be a lot to walk in and try something that's, oh, that's, yeah. that's locally made. 
And we wanted the structure to be inviting, right, and give you the ability. Yeah. To, you could walk through that entire structure and not buy a thing, and we're going to still enjoy your company. It's, and it's still, it's still an inviting spot. Good. Right. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think now I'm starting to remember back, maybe one of our first telephone calls, I think when you guys are going to take over the old pavilion, you're like, can we hang lights on here and hang a speaker? And I said something like, well, I'm pretty sure you could probably hang a truck off that thing. Right. And you're like, what? Well, we're not going to do that, but we just want to put lights. You sure it's okay for lights? I, mean, I think lights will work fine. Yeah. Right, right. Lights yeah. will be good. Because yeah, we didn't know, right? We, did, yeah, yeah, did, we just didn't, didn't know, know how much that could handle. And they can handle a lot. They can handle yep. a lot. Well, back on to the... Uh, uh, I think Gilroy's that I think that I see them pulled up and we got some food waiting for us. So we'll, uh, what, one of the things that we've discussed off and on, and I, I actually kind of use you as a, as a mentor, as somebody that I like to, to bounce ideas from in a different business genre. But one thing we had a common experience was running businesses and having employees through COVID. Right. And that's, I think a lot of people have an opinion of COVID, you know, positive. I don't know. There's, there's probably more negative than positive, but, you know, how our government, how everybody responded to COVID, you know, I'm not really, there's a hundred other podcasts can talk about that. Sure. From a personal aspect, how did COVID change your business mentality or your business, um, how you thought about carrying employees through that, through the pandemic? You know, that's a big question. And, you know, I, I, what I do try to let people know is whatever your livelihood is, can you imagine somebody coming in and turning it off? And I'm not saying, hey, we're going to give you like 30 days, 60 days. Hey, I'm going to give you my two weeks notice. I'm going to move right. on to another thing. They just came in and turned it off, right? So our livelihood just ceased to exist. Um, that, for anybody, is, is brutal, right? On, on, your, on your psyche, on your people, on your emotions, on, on what you thought bank was your account, dream, your bank account. I would your... mostly say the psyche right. of, of somebody, right. especially that's an entrepreneur that feels an obligation to your customers, to your employees, to your family. Right. You know, where, where do you go? What do you do? Right. And so, and we, and the answer is, again, if you're a small business owner, which, which, which I am, you can't just fold up and cry, right? You got to figure out what you're going to do next. And so, you know, we did everything we could to maintain our staff um, and pay them and pay rent. And, you know, the, all, all, we, we don't own all of our structures, so the landlords didn't stop collecting rent. The insurance right. companies didn't stop collecting insurance. The power company didn't stop, you know, collecting, you know, the, the state of Iowa didn't stop collecting their taxes. Right. Right. So, I mean, we, everything else continued, but we just got no money. We had none, right? And then there was some federal legislation, some state legislation that helped out. Um, without that, just so you know, I wouldn't be here. I mean, I might be here on your podcast, but none of my business would be here. Um, so uh, those were saviors. That's, again, a whole nother, another deal. But at the time, I didn't know those were going to come right. down the pike. And so we had to try to figure out, can we survive? So we had the tough, 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 tough conversations. We even said, hey, we've got four businesses. We may have to go to three, but I'm going to make sure all of you are taken care of. Uh, if we go from three to two, I think we can do that again. We, you know, we didn't have to get there, but we started to have those conversations because I didn't want my people to think that we were just going to throw the towel in. Right. And so we started to adjust the best we could. Even knowing bad news is better than not knowing any news. Correct. So having a plan that no one maybe loves, but everybody knows there's at least a plan. Right. Yep. And I, and I changed. I think we had this conversation a while ago. I've changed, right? And, and, and you know, uh, if you think of the Betty Ford Clinic – it's a nine-month commitment. So uh, they say if you're going to come into Betty Forklift, it's, it's not a jail, but it's nine months. If you want to change a habit and a behavior, nine months. Well, COVID was a lot longer than nine months. So everybody's, including mine, habit and behavior has changed. 
So, you know, when I came back out, I became much more reflective on how people are thinking and what they want. Um, even myself, right? Even my own limitations of how much I can handle mentally and physically and financially. And so, um, you know, coming out of COVID, I'm a different person. But what I realized, everybody's different. So you've got to relearn kind of how they want to be talked to, how they want to be structured, how they want to be approached, how they want to be taken care of. Um, some got tougher. Some got weaker, right? And so, and some just changed, right, as far as just who they and who and what they want in life. And so I think it was a pretty big reset for our country. Um, now we just got to figure out how do we adapt to that reset? How do we become what that customer wants? All we've ever done in this restaurant business is give you a, try to give what the customer wants. Right. I can't give you what I want. i got to give you what you want. And so now we've had to adjust to that, right? Even, even, even my employees, right, which are like family to me, how do they want to be treated? How do they want to work? Do they want to work 40 hours a week? Do they want to work 50 hours a week? Do they want to work 25 hours a week? Do they want to have their time to themselves? Do they need time to themselves? And I'm learning yes to all of those things. And so trying to identify a, a different staff and how they want to be taken care of has just been a, a tremendous change, right? And, I, and it's not even good or bad. It just is, right? And somebody said, oh, you, are you getting back to the new normal? I'm like, there's no new normal. There's just new. So we've just had to adjust to the new. And then once... Once we adjust the new, maybe in a few years we'll have a, a normal, but it'll be a new normal, not new normal today, just a total new. And so it's been interesting to see us grow. And we've been really successful in certain aspects and not so, not so much in others. So you're able to find those niches in that new, you care to share any of those with us? Sure. So uh, the Autocrat Beer Tent has been a huge success, kind of coming out of COVID. Right. People certainly wanted to be outside. They wanted to be in open spaces. They wanted to also do things, right? There's this experiential piece that they, I think people said, hey, I want to go and have an active lifestyle. I want to be out and about. And so, you know, the Autocrat Beer Tent, although that was the one that got shut down the most during COVID because those events were just completely canceled, when we rebounded, that thing bounced really hard and really well. Um, because people felt good about events and being outside and supporting local and doing things that they can, you know, they can actually see as tangible. What we, what we didn't adjust so well was downtown Des Moines, people didn't come back to the office. People started to work from home. People started to not have even team meetings anymore that were in a restaurant or a happy hour or a team meeting lunch. They were done by Zoom. Still are, right? right. I mean, yep. there's, there, there's departments that I know that have hired four or five people that have never physically met them yet. And how many years are we now past COVID? So what we've saw like in the city of Des Moines is there's a lot of adjustment and juxtaposition downtown because it's all changed. I don't think it's going to come back to the way it was. I think there's going to be some changes that will become, you know. But it's new. It's you just new. Got, you got to figure out that that becomes normal maybe. Right. And how do you, and how do you, how do you take care of those clients? And restaurants may or may not be the, the solution to some of those clients, right? But how do we, how do we adjust? We've been, we've been trying downtown to adjust. We haven't had tons of success. We're still open, so that's success in its own. Yep. But we haven't had tons of what I consider success, like the Autocrat Beer Tent, you know, kind of post-COVID. And then Gilroy's, which, you know, had brought us lunch today. Um, we kind of opened that uh, prior to COVID in the suburbs, and we realized, oh, my goodness, people are working from home. Well, guess what? Working from home doesn't mean they don't want to be out and about. So all of a sudden, our happy hour started at 2 o'clock. Because I think people started to get a little, little claustrophobic or maybe restless in their homes. And <laughs> Business they, managers love hearing that story. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden, we realized our bar started getting close, busier at 2 and 3 instead of 4, 5, and 6. Right. And then our dinner crowd, instead of coming in at 5, 6, 7, started coming in at 4, 5, 6. So we actually got busier earlier and closed earlier, right? So we just realized instead of being open to 10, 11, now we were open until 9 yep. and 10. 
which and is probably easier on staff. I would easier assume. on staff, uh, childcare staff. Yeah, it just it makes a lot of different things work better. Right. So we 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 saw that if you were in the suburbs during COVID and post COVID, um, you actually had more success than the city. You know, so we were glad and lucky to have Gilroy's. You know, kind of in that in that side of town. I think diversification is a big a big part of you know. I think if it, if a person gets themselves in an opportunity to become more diversified, I think that's always that's something that I always it does two things for you. It it obviously gives you the financial and the business uh, differentiation, so you're not don't have all your eggs in one basket. But it also kind of revigorates your mental side of the business and how you approach different aspects of it being having some other problems to work on you can get i've got just being in the fabric business for so long i've gotten somewhat tunnel vision to just you know everything everything's you know hoop hoop here hoop there you know if we do this we used to do it this way let's try that you know you just if you can get into a different type of a business challenge you can you can kind of get that mind reopened back up right and i think covid did that for a lot of businesses if and i think we had a lot we had a different COVID experience in Iowa than they did in other states. Sure. I mean, there's, well, with your travels, I'm sure you've kept up with people yeah. in different parts of the country where, you know, it was it was hard to go outside. Correct. You know, and I think Iowa, you know, we, we kind of declared ourselves essential because we do build, you know, grain storage. We, we do salt storage for roads. You know, you still have to get the ambulances. You still got to pick garbage up. You still have to salt the streets. You still have to. So we still had a core business of necessity that we didn't, we didn't walk, you know, we couldn't just, just shut the door, but we obviously made a lot of changes in the, in the way we did things, but we still, we still, we still had everybody coming to work. Right. You still had a paycheck. We still had a paycheck. Right. Yep. Just, or at least you had cash flow. I'm not saying that yep. people were making more money or less money during that time, but yeah, that, we're, we're industry we, we still try to keep We had zero cash flow for, yeah, that, for, a, that's, for, for a while. And when you do get, we mentioned a little bit about some of the stimulus money that came right. back out. You know, one of the things that, that I've seen in agriculture, and this is obviously it's a podcast of opinions, but when you see in agriculture the subsidies come to agriculture, you also see some of a cap on success, right? Because it it diverse it doesn't necessarily reward the guy that's taking all the risk. Everybody kind of participates in that in that system. So right, yeah, we actually and and by the way, fortunate to have the stimulus. So yeah, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here. But uh, Gilroy's Carl, uh, my Carl Wurzberger, my partner there, he is a uh, a triathlete, right? So that guy has no quit. So during COVID, we were doing to-go food, and he was out there hustling and selling meals to take with you, and uh, Moscow mules pre-made to go, or Moscow mules you can pick, you know, grab a bottle of vodka, and we'll get you ginger beer. And he, I mean, you, he, if we could sell it, he was hustling it, right? Yep. And then there were some restaurants that just didn't open because that was their comfort zone, right? Just to to stay closed. Well, when the stimulus came through, they gave you X amount of dollars minus what you sold. Right, so all the work Carl did, he felt like, wow, all that work, and he didn't get as much stimulus as the restaurant that didn't do anything. Right, so if they stayed, if they were closed, they actually got more dollars. Oh, really? Because it was it was based on how much you sold the year before minus what you sold this year. I did not. I did right. not. So know there was that, a, so. a form, and it's not just that simple, but that was the simple it's, it's, simple part of the formula. Right. And so I remember him going, man, all that work, but I would remind him, but your staff's still with you, your people are still with I, you. They saw your energy, they saw your your, your will not to die and, and give up. And so the, all those things are, you know, are paid for way ahead, right? You don't see it sometimes, you know, in the moments that, that, that you do it. But I said people saw you working, and, and they didn't forget about Gilroy's, right? Right. They they you kept your, yeah, that, that's, to me, from, a, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, kind of the topic of this podcast was, but that is a direction that you can never make that decision otherwise. Even if you knew the outcome of the stimulus, 
most entrepreneurs, you know, that's kind of a test for people at home. If you're really, if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about jumping in with both feet, that's the kind of thing that's the decision that you'd have to be comfortable with and would have to make without ever knowing what the outcome right. would be on the stimulus is you just go back to work. Yeah, you, can, you, 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 you go you back really to work inside the rules. Quit. You really yep. can't quit. I mean, I guess you could. I mean, there's, there, I mean, I've done some consulting where I've said to people, maybe it's time. Right. Right. But in general, if you have that true entrepreneur, that, 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 that focus, you've got to be okay with no quit. I mean, you've got to just keep moving forward. And, if, and I'm telling you, folks, it works. I mean, eventually that, that you, you cross the, the gap of losing money to making money, right? And then all of a sudden you realize this is really working. Yep. And then you refine the business and you make it better and you refine the business and you make it better and you refine the business and you make it better. And all of a sudden, you know, that cash flow becomes so so positive that you maybe have the idea to do another yep. you know, business. You know, and, the, and, you know, I probably reinvented myself four times in the last 22 years. Right. You've just basically like, you know, we, we've run down this road as far as we can. Now we got to either build a bridge dig a ditch, drain the road, get over to the next road and get go down a different, little bit different direction. We've never really changed who we were, but we've had to continue to adapt and kind of reinvent ourselves through those times. So, you know, I, that's something that, and that's, those are the kind of things you can't teach. I, I think you just, you, you can't teach somebody that says, all right, well, here's my new rules I got to work with, but now I still got to work. Right. And there's a, there's a singer songwriter named Jerry Jeff Walker. And in one of his songs, he says, change is the very most natural thing. And life is mostly attitude and timing. And that is, if I if I put something on my wall, I don't. Right. If I was going to put a saying on my wall, that would be my saying. You know, change is the very most natural thing, and life is mostly attitude and timing. And if you're willing to change, and you're willing to keep a good attitude, and you and you and timing is helpful, right? If you can, if you can time it right, I mean, you know, it, it is it is going to be successful. You're going to make it work. It's going to be better than you ever thought it could be. On the way, you might have some hiccups. You might get a little scared. You might get a little nervous. But in general, you will be really successful in the end. He had another song I've heard on the radio. What's the uh, what the Indian blanket one? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's, another, there's another song out there. It's, uh, there's also a song. I was so d- damn bad last night. I'll be good for the rest of my life. <laughs> those lyrics will also work. <laughs> those definitely do. Definitely do. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add that as people listen to this that you, it, from the topics we've discussed? Is there anything else that's, that's chomping at the bit to? You know, I think, you know, I'm going to go back and, and I, if you can surround yourself with good people and you can identify people that can grow with you and have some of the same vision, not the same vision, because I think that's, that's not always good, but some of the same vision and actually can take the ball and run with it. That has been my greatest success. If I wouldn't, if I didn't trust somebody in the next deal, I would never have grown past Court Avenue Brewing Company because I was working 50 to 60 to 70 hours a week within Court Avenue Brewing Company, and the thought of trying to do another restaurant, I didn't have the bandwidth. Right. But once I identified a person that could take the next place and make it their own, and all I had to do was help them, maybe finance them, and give them the encouragement and coach them right through that process, as soon as we got that business going and we, were, and we could see that it was actually going to be successful, then I realized I can do a third, a fourth, a fifth. I can do a different business. I can do the, you know, the Iowa Crab Beer Tent. I could buy a warehouse, manage that. I mean, all of a sudden you realize you don't have to do all the decision-making. You can hire great people to help you out. And if you give them enough of the pie, at least in my experience, uh, that they can be ultimately successful themselves, uh, past whatever they maybe thought they could be, um, the sky's the limit. I mean, as far as growth goes. But you got to be okay, one, to give up some of that pie, and two, give up that control. And it, that was the hardest part for me, just so you know, guys. You know, when I had to say, I'm going to give up control on whatever's going to happen in the next business as far as ultimate control, um, 
I didn't sleep well at night for quite quite a, quite a while until I saw them take control and do better things. But, but I think a lot of people get stuck saying, I don't think I can give up that control, and then they don't grow. And if right. you look at most small businesses, uh, and I love small business guys, so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with not, without growing, but if you look at most small businesses and you meet the owner, and then you start to get to know the owner, you'll realize they can't grow because they're making every decision. And you yep. only have so much bandwidth, and if you and if you can't get past giving up that decision making, you know, power, stay small and enjoy your business. Right? There's nothing I, wrong with that. I think that's a, a very important point. You know, we're down here at at uh, Valley Junction with all the small businesses. That is a there's businesses out here that have a wonderful business. They they're 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 doing everything they want to do. Right. They may may or may not be measured by how much is at the bottom line at the end of the year, but they're living their dream. They're enjoying what they do. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You don't have to get into business to set the whole world on fire. Right. And you, you know? don't have to be, and you don't have to take over the world right. to be successful. You know, what some people asked me a long time ago, why didn't I grow Court Avenue into a packaging big beer company and become, you know, the, the Iowa beer or the Midwest beer or whatever they right. wanted to, you know, and say, guys, I didn't, that was not my dream. I didn't, I didn't want, I don't need to grow. I don't want to be on every shelf of every grocery store. That's not what I saw as, as, as my success. I saw Court Avenue Brewing Company. I saw great food. I saw the historic area. I liked Des Moines. I saw customers. I was taking care of them. I didn't want to get outside that footprint. Same thing with Americana. We didn't duplicate Americana. Same thing with Gilroy's. We didn't duplicate Gilroy's. And it, and it doesn't mean that we can't duplicate Americana, or it doesn't mean Carl's not going to want to duplicate Gilroy's if that's his idea and his, his dream. But I've never been one to want to take over, right? I just like, I want to see Carl grow. I want to see Neil Stone grow. I want to see Steve grow. I want to see them grow. That's my motivation. Right, and if they want to grow to be bigger, great. But in general, I just want to see them become successful. That's my motivation. And I think that's that giving it back. And I think it takes people some time to see that. But um, you know, we did. We went through one of those little little issues. I shouldn't say issues, but we got to a bandwidth issue where we were trying to build buildings and install them, and provide all the primary sales. And we finally went to a dealer distribution model, mm-hmm. where you make a lot less on a building, but you hopefully have. A, a group of people working on your behalf that they can make a pretty good margin on that product. Right. And then they can go out and sell it to other people around the country. And we don't have to be able to, we're not trying to chase lead in Georgia. We're not trying to be in California. You know, there's a whole nother set of rules and, you know, you go to different parts of the country. It's, it's, you've got to learn those local aspects of what they're trying to accomplish. You've got to have a relationship with that customer. You have to be able to provide that experience that person wants before they write you that check right. and to be able to do that from Iowa far, we could do enough of it, but we could never really grow. We could never really get to where we wanted to be from a manufacturing standpoint. And we saw the pressures, what, what worked three or four years ago in manufacturing. Well, it didn't work today. So we had to continue to push that, push that envelope a little bit to continue to be sustainable or continue to be profitable in that manufacturing space. And we did that through, through a distribution program. Right. And I think you nailed it. I think one of the things we talked about, I'm probably not saying this right, but I know you went down to Texas when you saw the rains were causing some problem with the power yep. stations, and you went, I think, in the Middle oh, the, East. Oh, the, they had the snow and ice that snow froze and ice, up. There it was, yep. and you saw you you saw that you could solve this with your structure, right? And, and I think you physically went down there and started yep. to make those inroads, and and probably had to build a few just to prove what you 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 wanted to uh, to sell. Um, but you only have you, right? There's only one of you, and you can't be everywhere. And so, um, if you really want to grow, folks, and you really want to, you know become more dynamic and you got to trust people. You got to be able to develop people, 
get somebody in the same mindset and then let them run. And it's easy to say, and it's sometimes harder to do, but you got to do it for the right reasons. Right. If you lose focus of your customer, if you lose focus for the employees, just to grow for your, for your own, you know, it's, um, the self-fulfillment becomes after a period of time, it becomes seeing that next generation. It's a lot of things you talk about in the farming community, you know, that, you know, we're associated with the farming community. I I grew up on a farm. A lot of our products aren't necessarily for agricultural use. They're mostly for commercial, industrial. We're doing more recreational type space. So we're not really, even though we're based in rural Iowa and we're based on my, my family's farm, we're really not an agricultural company like a lot of people assume us to be that are here from Iowa because we're, we're doing projects in, like you said, in Texas in the oil and gas industry, and we're doing stuff in, in um, Utah in the mining. We just don't have that. that the ag is something that we, we try to project that, though, that same feeling that you get with the ag and that generational, we're trying to project that to those other customers. And some of them that are corporate, yeah, you know, it's, it's a corporate account. But a lot of them that are still independent operators, people that have that ability to feel what that building does for them, and it makes a big difference in their operations. Well, you said, too, the banks aren't really interested in financing manufacturing right now. Right. I'm telling you right now, banks are not interested in financing restaurants, right? <laughs> and so um, you've got to do it for the right reasons. And, and, and I don't know about manufacturing, but you know, the money in restaurants is not great, right? Uh, you can be successful and you can do really well, but that is not the norm. Right. And so most people that get in the restaurant business do it because they have an idea or passion or a food or a culture they come from, and they just want to share that with people. So I always say, find something you're passionate about. Find something that you can share. Find something that you know, can certainly make a difference in your community. And if you do it well, you're going to be successful. I think that's the trick. Don't, yeah, you, you gotta, it, it takes money. It takes money to go to town to buy, to buy bread and whiskey, is what I always say. You got to make money. Especially the whiskey. Especially the whiskey. But, well, bread's not getting any cheaper either. But <laughs> the, 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 the point is, is you have to be passionate about what you do. Right. And if, if I guess that becomes a theme of this podcast is, is about the, 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 the passion f- for what you want and for the others that get you there. Have that passion. Right. So, and I think as you get a little bit older, you realize that's, that's life. And I, I, you're exactly, I think that's, there's no keys to life or there's no secrets to life. But I think that, that could be, a, that could be a, a big part of one of them is, is having the passion for others to be successful. Right. You know. Well, as we start to wrap things up, I want to, uh, obviously, Scott, thank you for, for coming in and taking some of your time today. I, for I me. really appreciate it. I uh, want to talk, thank all the folks here at Red Dot and the Red Dot Studios. Uh, we've got producer Alex that's running the soundboard. We really want to thank Alex for his time today. And obviously Gil Royce for bringing up the food and um, Cabco for, for to be able to wash it down with a little bit of that good Iowa beer. So with that, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, you can find us on growing, growingwithowen.fm. So if you uh, are looking for more podcasts of this type to uh, – Listen to smart people trying to get smarter. At least that's the uh, guess. Uh, we're still trying to figure out the host a little bit. But uh, try to uh, look us up on growingwithowen.fm. And with that, I'll say thanks for listening. Have a great day. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Growing with Owen. If you haven't yet, click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Let's keep growing together. <laughs>